The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. So welcome each and every one of you here to the first day of our Spiritual Awakening Conference. And we are blessed to have with us Dr. John Van Geldren uh, to be our special speaker. Uh, Dr. John Van Geldren literally travels the country speaking on the subject of spiritual renewal in the lives of everyday believers. And so literally he is speaking almost every single day. And uh, every day he's speaking at a church, speaking at conferences, really calling believers uh, to a spiritual awakening, one that as we study the history books has happened before and one that we believe by faith that God could do again. How many of you believe by faith that God could send a spiritual renewal awakening once again to America? And I, I believe that. And, and so as a church, we're really t- banding together in a spirit of prayer, uh, in a spirit of uh, faith uh, to believe that God can do some of these things again. And so we've set apart the next four days to kind of turn our hearts uh, toward seeking revival, seeking the Spirit of God, speaking the Christ life through us. And I think this is going to be a wonderful time. I want to encourage you to kind of rearrange your schedule over the next four days uh, to make this a priority in your daily life. And uh, I know it's going to be a sacrifice. Uh, For some of us, it might even be financial sacrifice as we have to maybe step away from a little bit of work or take some time off. Uh, For others, just kind of a busy sacrifice. But I I pray that the Lord would just give you the grace and that His Spirit would lead you to really make this a priority uh, in your life and in the life of our church. And so we're excited to have Dr. Van Gelderen. If you've been around here for a while, he's no stranger to us. Uh, He comes regularly to speak, and we've enjoyed having him every time he does. And I'm just thankful that he was willing to fly. Uh, all the way out from Michigan here yesterday to be a part uh, with, our, with us with, for our meetings. And so I want to encourage you uh, to be a part here tonight at 6 o'clock where we'll be continuing this as well as uh, having the official formal ordination service for Pastor Nick Minerva. And so that's also happening as he officially becomes one of our pastors here at Ambassador Baptist Church. And we're excited about that. And that's going to take place this evening at 6 o'clock as well as the continuation of our Spiritual Awakening Conference. And so we're excited about that. Psalms 126 is where we're going to be. Uh, I'm going to invite Dr. John, if you'll come to make your way to the pulpit, I hope that you'll open up your hearts, open up your ears, and really ask the Lord to speak to you as he speaks to us. All right, thank you so much. We are looking at Psalm 126. What a delight to be back here at Ambassador Baptist Church. It's been a joy over these years to come. And I have really been looking forward to this meeting in a special way for several reasons. At the conclusion of the last meeting, uh, which was about a year and a half ago, I was talking with Pastor and several of the staff, and maybe some of the folk were still standing around, and we just got to talking about revival. And uh, uh, I just started telling stories and uh, what God's done in the past, what He's doing now. And from those stories came this particular meeting. Uh, as uh, we were talking about that, Pastor said, you know, we ought to have a, have a whole conference where we focus in on what God has done. There is something about looking at what God has done that stirs you. And so uh, this week we're going to have a very specialized focus uh, in this spiritual renewal conference on the history of revival and how that pertains to our faith for what God wants to do in our day. My heart resonated with the video we just saw. 
And when pastor asked, how many of you believe God could send another awakening? Many of us raised our hands. But friends, we need to allow the Spirit of God to so convince us that there would be just a radical, yes, I believe, because God says so in his word. And want us to see that uh, throughout these days together. So this is really a special time. And there's something about the revival history that uh, for me personally, outside of my reading of the Bible, when the Spirit of God just lifts truth off the page, but outside of that, there's nothing that stirs me more than reading of the wonderful works of God. How he has moved in generation after generation, continent after continent, country after country, culture after culture, all of that transcending by his mighty presence and power. And I want us to allow the Spirit of God to take that kind of thought deep within our souls in these days. I do appreciate what Pastor said about uh, uh, if you uh, can at all possible be here. I do recognize uh, that uh, many of you have very different schedules and all those kinds of things. I understand that. Uh, But let me encourage you with this. Would you come... Every service that God wants you to come. That's not a trick. (laughs) I often say that coming into my meetings. Uh, But, uh, you know, for some, that may mean God would have you take off work. Uh, You know, if God tells you to do it, you won't regret it. If you just do it on your own, you might regret it. So do what God wants you to do, and it will come out right. But let's look to the Spirit of God. And I'm thrilled to hear that there has been prayer that's gone up. And I do trust that each day of this meeting, there will be a heart cry meeting. Get alone with God. Get together with your spouse. Get together as a family. Take a few moments and lift your voices and cry out. And ask the Spirit of God to convince you of God's purpose for our generation now. And your faith will be built. All right, Psalm 126 in the Word of God this morning. Psalm 126, what a psalm this is. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. Ah, the Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. The first three verses remember the past. The last two verses give us a promise for the future. And sandwiched between all that is verse 4, which is a heart cry for the present. The title of this message is Heart Cry for Revival. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Lord, for this pastor and this people. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in this assembly. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing around the world. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in generation after generation. We thank you that you are a God who has not changed. Lord, open our eyes to your purpose and plan for our generation. Open our eyes to our privilege of the cooperation of faith. And so I plead the blood of Jesus, protect us from the attack of the enemy who so seeks to dull our faith concerning revival. And so, Lord Jesus, I claim our position in you at the throne far above the enemy and in your name. I exercise your authority over the powers of darkness that would seek to hinder this morning and trust you that that not be allowed. Oh, Lord Jesus, may you be honored. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the 1940s, my mother graduated from Wheaton College. She then went to Biola here in California, came back to Wheaton, and started working for an evangelist by the name of John R. 
Rice. And for several years was his secretary when the Sword of the Lord was located in Wheaton, Illinois. Well, years later, I'm number four in the lineup of five siblings. When I was born, Durango, Colorado, early 1960s, my parents called the office of the Sword of the Lord to find out what the R stood for because they wanted to name me after John R. Rice. They were told Robert. There's an argument with some of the staff members that it's Richard. Well, you say, can't you settle that with a birth certificate? You'd think so, but in our day and age, it doesn't always work. But at any rate... uh, uh, some of you remember the election, that's what I was referring to. But uh, nonetheless, uh, uh, when it comes to this, they named me John Robert Van Gelder, and after John, at least, R. Rice. The significance of that has been huge in the heritage and impact on my own personal life. I remember some years later when I was in elementary school, we were on a vacation down to Florida to see my grandmother. We went through Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and stopped at the Sword of Lord where it had moved. And uh, John Rice was there, invited us into his office, and uh, there's a large uh, area where he met with people. There's a huge library off to one side, all of his books, and then there was a little tiny study where he obviously did his serious work. And in that little room, they were showing us around, evidently my mother had sent him a picture of my first or second grade, uh, you know, school picture, and I had my hair slicked straight back just like my dad's, and there it was on his desk. Now, I would suppose that that dear man prayed for me, for which I am grateful. Well, another thing that happened on that visit is Dr. Rice went over to his desk and he grabbed a box of macaroons and he came over and he looked over the top of his glasses, that's how he used to do, and he asked us with a smile on his face, would you like some macaroons? And I can just see that sweet smile on his face vividly etched in my mind. I remember it well. Another thing that happened before we left the office that day is that he came over to my brother Jim and I, Jim's a year and a half older, and he put his hands on our heads And he prayed that God would call us to preach. That's what my brother Jim remembers. I remember the macaroons. (laughs) Well, it's interesting. My father had several portraits and pictures of certain men and is hanging on the wall of his office there where God had uh, used these men to bless him. One of those, he only had a few. One of them was an 8 by 10 photograph of John R. Rice. It was signed, John R. Rice, and then it had Psalm 126.6 underneath that signature. I have a Bible that I used as a, as a child. It was from the Bible lands. My parents had given to me an olive wood cover, and that was the Bible I used to get signatures of preachers. And I remember when John Rice came in for a meeting. I was in the fourth or fifth grade. I remember he went down the aisles during one invitation. And he asked every individual there, are you born again? Do you know Jesus? And that love of Jesus was just outflowing from that heart. And I remember in that meeting, I went up with that Bible and I asked him to sign it. And he smiled and pulled out a felt tip marker. So it's the largest signature on the page, John R. Rice. And underneath it, underneath it he put Psalm 126, 6. If you go to the Billrush Ranch, I was just there a few weeks ago. They have a cemetery, and the Rice brothers are buried at the top of it. In the middle is Evangelist Bill Rice, who founded the Bill Rice Ranch. And then to one side is Evangelist Joe Rice, less known but used of God. And to the other side is John R. Rice, the dates of his life. And this time, not just the reference, Psalm 126, 6, but the whole verse. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And his life certainly pictured that verse. But when you study the life of that man, a simple man of clay who trusted in God to use him, when you study his life and his writings, he understood that that outflow of evangelism, that outflow of witness, of bringing in sheaves, was in the context of God-sent revival. 
Now, friends, we have an amazing text of Scripture before us. The first three verses are all in the past tense. They go back and they remember what God has done. And that stirs the psalmist in verse 4 to cry out for God to do it again. And then in verses 5 and 6, it gives those promises. They give the foundation of faith for that heart cry. So this morning, let's let past blessing and future promises inspire us to present heart cry. I want us to see that there is a biblical foundation of looking at the wonderful works of God in the past that ought inspire us to faith for the present. Let's begin with that inspiration from the past. The first three verses, it says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion. The words turned again mean brought back, restored. The captivity of Zion. Some would think, well, uh, you know, that was just per, maybe perhaps prophetical psalm that uh, was written long before the captivity, and it's prophesying at that time when Israel would go into captivity, they would come back, and then later on somebody would remember. <laughs> I suppose that's a possibility. But do you know these very words are used in a few other passages, and they shed some light on what's happening. They're used in Job 42 and verse 10, where in the last chapter of the book of Job, The phrase is given there, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job. Now, was Job exiled into a foreign land? You can talk to me. (laughs) Not at all. You see, so here's that same phrase used in a different way. When God restored him back to that former place of blessing, we might say. In Ezekiel 16, verses 50 through Three through 55, the phrase bring again their captivity is defined as return to their former estate. So here, these words are used in that sense of being brought back to normal, brought back to that former place of blessing, brought back, revived. You've been looking at the DVDs, dealing with life again, and God has come. And so we're dealing with that very essence of being restored back to life again. And when that happens, it says here, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Now, friends, if you've ever had the privilege of talking to somebody who's been in the outpouring of the Spirit of God, where the atmosphere is saturated with the presence of God, as described in those DVDs, If you ever meet somebody who's been in that atmosphere, then this phrase will come alive to you. We were like them that dream. Oh, there's something in their eyes. There's something in their voice as they go back and remember. I remember being on the Isle of Lewis with my wife in the summer of 2000 as we were researching the Lewis revival that took place 60 years ago off the west coast of Scotland there. And I remember meeting several people converted in that revival. And I remember one dear lady remembering back. She uh, was saved as a young person in that revival. And she said, oh, when you've been in revival, nothing else satisfies. And the reason she's saying that is just as personal revival is when, you're feel, when you as an individual are filled with the life of God, the corporate revival, the outpouring, is when the atmosphere is filled with the life of God. And friends, when you are that conscious of God, nothing else satisfies. See, the focus is on the person. I remember one dear lady, she said, oh, I was under the age of 12 when the revival took place, and in those days our church didn't let the children in. (laughs) I don't understand the dynamics of that. But she said, we knew something was happening with our parents. 
And she said we would go as children. We'd stand outside the windows during those days of revival trying to catch what was happening. I remember one dear man, Donald McPhail, he's now with the Lord. Uh, I'll talk about him later when we uh, deal with the Lewis revival. But he said the presence of Jesus was so real, you could almost reach out and touch him. (laughs) And in all of these conversations, this phrase, we were like them that dream, comes alive. My father pastored four different churches over a 45-year period of time. He saw revival in three of those four churches. The first was in Miami, Florida, late 1940s. And the church had about 50 people, and it began to grow, and they grew to about 150. And then he had heard that there was a meeting in Indiana where a man by the name of Ed Nelson was preaching. Well, Dad knew Ed Nelson from his school days, and didn't, wasn't close to him at all in those days. But he heard that this meeting had broken open and had gone for six weeks. And so he invited Ed Nelson to come. They worked out the date and he came. I think it was for three weeks. And you know, God came. And the presence of God revived that church. And lost people were awakened and began to get saved. Dad said he was baptizing people for months. He said the church doubled. Went from 150 to 300 as a result of that revival. According to my uncle Bob Van Gelder, who's now with the Lord, he said the church was in continuous revival for the next uh, 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 five or six years there. And then there was another surge when John R. Rice came in for a meeting. And again, at this time, the church was running about uh, 400, 450. And they doubled again as a result of a God-sent move. And Dad would often talk about it. You know, we'd just be sitting in the living room of our house. And it is those conversations... When dad was remembering back, we were like them that dream. And telling us the stories that were staggering to our understanding. And uh, uh, just walking us through it. That's when the, the sparks of revival got ignited in my own heart as a little boy. We were like them that dream. And I remember... Years later, when I was on staff with my dad, he took me to a meeting where he and some preachers were talking about the issues of the day and all of this, you know, stuff going on. And at the end of uh, their meeting, and there'd been some controversy, and you know how it goes with preachers. Well, uh, they said, well, we ought to have a prayer meeting. You know, it's part of the perfunctory thing we do, you know. And so so they got down and everything, and he starts praying their memorized prayers. I'm just being honest. (laughs) And I'm the, you know, fresh out of grad school kid watching this. And then my dad began to pray. And this was no memorized prayer. Dad didn't shed many tears, but when the presence of Jesus was there, that's when he would shed tears. And he began to pray, Oh God, would you send another revival? As you did in the days of my youth. And he could go no further as the tears just streamed down his face. And next to him was old Monroe Parker. And that gruff, gravelly voice said, God bless you, brother. <laughs> we were like them that dream. goes on to say, Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our uh, tongue was singing. There was a revival that took place at a church in Illinois about a decade ago, and uh, it, it, it went into extra innings, as we sometimes say, and, 
And I had, I had met the pastor, but I didn't know him, and I wanted to find out more. And so a couple of years later, I was there, and I began to ask him about that revival. His first response was 24-7 joy. <laughs> now, this is several years later. And the first thing out of his mouth to talk about that event was 24-7 joy. You see, when you're caught up with Jesus, <laughs> he is our joy. 24-7 joy. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. And the word singing can be translated shouts of joy. Now, I don't know what you do out here in the West Coast, but down in the South, they know how to do this. Now, in the North, they don't. <laughs> and there can be just imitations and there can be the real thing where you are so stirred, you are just caught up and you shout for joy. <laughs> You know, in the revival accounts, you'll find that in the same moment when the Spirit falls, those who have sin in their life will cry out, they'll shout, for mercy. And those who are already right with God will shout for joy. Same moment. Same divine moving. Those with something between them and God cry out for mercy. Those who were walking in the Spirit just caught up with their God and shouting for joy. You read about it in the uh, store, many stories like the Congo revival of the 1950s. And it says, Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. Now friends, it is a wonderful thing when the church so meets with God that the unsaved takes notice. And our history books in the USA, our newspapers across our country, are full of examples of the unsaved world taking note that God is meeting with his people. It's a wonderful thing. Don't you think the USA needs a dose of that right now? Where the church is so filled with God, the lost world has to take notice. Like in the Asbury Revival in 1970, when God came to a campus, a little Methodist school there in Kentucky, and uh, uh, there's a whole lead-up of uh, intercession that uh, leads up to that uh, uh, story. But when God broke through, it was during a chapel service. You know how long the chapel service lasted? 185 hours consecutively. How'd you like to be in a 185-hour service? <laughs> Obvious people who went back, got a few hours of sleep, grabbed something to eat, cleaned up and came back. But that, it just kept going. And do you know that the news media, Wilmore, Kentucky, picked up on what was happening? And you can still watch this video where the news announcer, Morning News, says, now right now you're probably getting the kids off to school. Ladies, maybe you're, you know, washing the dishes. And man, you're headed quickly out the door. He says, if you can stop... Stop everything. You've got to watch the next few minutes of video footage. And then he began to describe that God was meeting with a student body in their town. And they show video footage right into that auditorium, 1970. And all, oh, there's people on their face, there's people giving testimony. There's a professor standing up and confessing that he's just gone through the motions, that he has just depended on the flesh, and with tears asking that student body to forgive him. And here it is on video footage. And the lost world was taking note 
Do you know that 130 campuses were impacted by that revival? Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. Verse 3, The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Now, the psalmist here is remembering back because there's something about the revival accounts that stir people to faith. And what's really powerful is when there's a present move of God and there's testimony from that present fire. The reason 130 campuses got hit in 1970 is because people started calling Asbury and said, can you send a couple students so they can testify? And they would be sent out by twos to various campuses or Christian groups on secular campuses, and thus the 130. And in that testimony, the fire would jump. (laughs) Faith would be built, and God would move, and it would spread. There's something about reading of what God has done. Why do you think the Scripture repeats what God did with the plagues in Egypt over and over again? It's all throughout the Bible. Because it's faith building. You remember there in Psalm uh, 81, uh, you know, I am the Lord thy God which brought thee out of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. Remember what I've done and cry out for me to do it again. And that's the purpose. Now, a man who got a hold of this was the father of Andrew Murray, Scottish preacher, moved his family to South Africa and pastored in South Africa. Andrew Murray said that as a little boy, every Friday night, now you gotta, you got you got to catch this, every Friday night, the father would get the family around him and he would get a book, that some account of revival history, and he would read a chapter of revival history to the family every Friday night. He would dismiss the family. He would go to his office, shut the door, and weep and plead for a nation. Andrew Murray said that often as a little boy, he would sneak over and sit outside that door and hear the cries and hear the intercessions. Hear the heart cry for a nation. I wonder how many children are hearing their dads pray that way. We can't fake it, but we can ask God to put the fire in our hearts. Well, it is no accident that some years later, now Andrew Murray's grown, trained, and now He had some itinerant ministry, and then now he's pastoring in a town called Worcester, South Africa, about an hour and a half north into the interior from Cape Town. Beautiful area, tall mountains with waterfalls coming down, and in the valleys they had grapevines, the vineyards, and so on. And the first text he preached on was from 2 Corinthians about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, how... how, uh, Uh, How much more shall the ministry of the Holy Spirit be glorious? That phrase. And within weeks, God moved. Now, here's how he moved. There was a young people's meeting. It wasn't in the church building. The church was on the town square in Worcester. And it, uh, there was uh, across the uh, way, there was another building where the young people were meeting for a youth meeting of some kind. The youth Man, the assistant, the associate of uh, Andrew Murray, was a man by the name of DeVries. 
And in this youth meeting, remember this is back in the days when there was segregation in South Africa. It's a fact of history, unfortunately. And a girl, a native girl in the back where she had to sit, raised her hand. And she said, may I pray? Well, that was against the protocol. But DeVries was walking in the spirit. And he sensed, obviously, he needed to let this girl pray. Fifteen-year-old. He said, you may pray. And this little girl began to pray. And according to DeVries, in the eyewitness account, he said, as she began to pray, we began to hear a sound as of a mighty rushing wind that got louder and louder and louder until it hit our room and simultaneously every teenager there was now audibly praying to God. Now keep in mind this was Dutch Reformed Church. (laughs) This was not even in their psyche to have two people pray at once. Now, you can go to Burma, and this is what they do just out of habit. You can go to West Virginia, this is what they do out of habit. Uh, But uh, this was, you know, Dutch Reformed Church. This was not even in their mind. Well, God was obviously working, but some of the deacons that were not in the meeting happened to pass by, and they saw what they thought was chaos. They went and got Andrew Murray from the main church building, he came running in there. He's now, you know, he's the new pastor. He's only been there for a few weeks. He goes up to DeVries and says, he taps him on the shoulder. He was down on his knees. He said, what's going on? <laughs> and DeVries told him what I just told you. And Andrew Murray went up and down the aisle and said, uh, uh, God is a God of order. Stop this. Hush. I am your pastor. Nobody heard him. <laughs> and finally, he walked out in disgust. When the providence of God a few days later, when Andrew Murray was leading the youth meeting. Now, this is very unusual. I'll say more about it in a moment. I'll say more about it in a moment. But that sound, as of a mighty rushing wind, got louder and louder again until it hit that audience again. And now the whole place is in prayer again, except for Andrew Murray. And again, he's saying, "This, this is this is chaos. God's not a God of chaos. Stop this." But that day, in the goodness and providence of God, I've often wondered if it was an angel, there was a man standing in the back corner, a visitor. Murray didn't recognize him. Murray's going down the aisle trying to get the young people to stop. They're all praying simultaneously. And the man said, I presume you are the pastor. (laughs) Murray said, yes. He said, I've just come from the great revival in the United States, 1857, 1858. Now we're 1860 South Africa. He said, what I'm seeing here, I saw there. He said, this is the work of God, and I suggest you get out of the way. And Andrew Murray decided to defer (laughs) to the Holy Spirit and became the leader of what is now known as the Great Revival of 1860. Another facet to this story is that before he became the pastor... In the eyewitness account by DeVries, there's a little statement that's not in most of the other history books. I got this from an article that was run in the Worcester paper two months before I went there to investigate the (laughs) revival. 
fascinating that they would run those articles in the providence of God. And here's a quotation from DeVries. And DeVries says, before Andrew Murray became the pastor, there was a handful of people that had worn out a pathway up uh, one of the mountainsides that overlooked the town. And they had been praying for God to pour out his spirit, for God to move. Now, when the revival occurred, it began to spread to that area, it spread to that region, it spread to the nation. It is the great revival of 1860. It was a a South African revival. And Murray's father, as an old man, came to see what was happening. And he said to Andrew, you are experiencing what I have prayed for. Now, friends, that is not arrogance because faith is not a work. It's dependence upon the worker. And he knew God had heard those cries. Now, the point of the story is every Friday night, he fed his faith. And one of the ways, the food of faith is the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. But testimonies of the word experienced ignite faith. There's something powerful about it. And uh, he hath made his wonderful works to be remembered, uh, Psalm 111 tells us. In Psalm 78, each generation telling to the next generation the wonderful works of God. All of that is a part of Bible. uh, uh, it's, it's, It's what God wants us to do. And in reading those accounts, his faith was built so that he could go into that study, close the door, and pray and weep for a nation. Now, friends, don't get caught up about the sound as of a mighty rushing wind. I only know of about four accounts where that has happened in church history. It's probably happened more. That's an incidental because it doesn't happen every time. I think it's a glorious thing. If God wants to do it, he did it in the book of Acts. He did it there. He did it in the Congo in the 1950s. But that's an incident. What's essential is the presence of God. And this dear father would go read these accounts of God manifesting his presence to build his faith so that he could cry out. And that brings you to the last two points here, which we'll just touch, because I wanted today to spend my time on that first uh, aspect of the inspiration from the past. But it brings you to intercession for the present. That's been the whole point. Verse 4, turn again our captivity. See, he switches from past tense now to present. When you remember what God has done, it stirs you to say, God, do it again. Turn again our captivity. There's your same words, restore us, Lord. And it says here, turn again our captivity, oh, Lord. Oh, and the oh's and the ah's come back into our prayers. God's already on the move. I'm going to tell you, stale prayer meetings hurt faith. But when there's heart cry, it builds faith. Oh, Lord, heart cry. And it says here, turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south, referring to the south of Israel, the Negev, a desert area of that most of the year was dry riverbeds. And then in the rainy season, because of the hardened clay, they would fill up and become torrents. And that's what he's praying for as the torrents during the rainy season. You know, when I first began to pray for revival, about 25 years ago, I really got stirred to make it a key part of my, I couldn't pray for torrents. I did not have the faith to. You know what I prayed for? A mercy drop. (laughs) That's all I could pray for. But you know God, and God's happy to give the mercy drops. And he does. But he's way bigger than that. And God brings you along, and he'll increase what you're willing to trust him for. A shower. A deluge. (laughs) 
a flood. <laughs> and the truth is, God wants us to have God-sized prayers based on God-sized vision because that's who He is. And that brings you to that intersection with the promise. Verses 5 and 6, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Sowing parallel to uh, reaping in tears with joy. And then it switches from the plural to the singular in verse 6. Letting us know that as an individual you can grab a hold of this regardless of anyone else. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him. Shall doubtless. Last time I checked that means without a doubt. And that's where we miss it. Friends, we need such a view of God. See, it's the consciousness of God in times of revival that brings people to a confidence in God. And when you're confident in God, you know I can go with, I can go with the gospel <laughs> and, and I'm going to come back with, with, with the sheaves that he's promised. And there's something about genuine revival that always spills over into an awakening, into spirit-empowered evangelism. Inspiration from the past to bring us to intercession for the present, all based on an intersection with the promise. In 1899, a prayer meeting was started at the Moody Bible Institute. 1899 was the year that D.L. Moody died. He was a product of the Third Great Awakening, 1857 and 58. In Chicago, he was touched by that fire. And he and his life affected the, nor the next 40 years as a result of that. But this prayer meeting got to going. Moody died, but the prayer meeting continued. Now they're averaging about three to 400 every Saturday night. Then, R.A. Torrey. And a few others decided to stay longer. And one night, Tory said to the Lord, as they were praying in the wee hours of the night, as they were praying for a worldwide revival, 1899. He said, God, if you want to use me, I'm available. At that time, he was not itinerant. Well, there was a group of preachers in Australia that for 11 years had been praying for a big revival. And God opened the door for R.A. Tory to go to Australia in 1901. And God was so moving that there was 40,000 people in that city of Melbourne praying in 2,000 homes for this move of God. And Tory and others preached all across that city and 100,000 people were awakened and came to Christ. That was 1901. As you move along, that next decade is now known as the early 20th century revivals because God began to stir hearts. In 1902, God began to raise up prayer circles of twos and threes all around the world. India, England, everywhere. It was not connected. It was the Spirit of God working and people responding. So you have little prayer groups all around the world, 1902. And then in 1904, and I'm skipping over certain other revivals that took place, but in 1904 you have 
the Welsh revival. Lord willing, in one of our services, I'll detail that revival. It's one of the greatest revivals of New Testament history. But the Welsh revival was so powerful, it hit the papers, and the papers got circulated around the globe, and people in India, where John Hyde and Amy Carmichael were, were reading of that, and they said, you know, God, if you're blessed there, you can bless here. You're not a respecter of persons. They began to pray. God sent the 1906 revival in Cassia Hills, India. In Korea, they heard about that and said, God, you're not a respecter of persons. If you can bless in India, you can bless here. And then you have the Korean revival of 1907. Up till that revival, there was just a handful of believers in Korea uh, compared to the population. But that revival turned Korea into a Christian nation. And today, Korea is taking over the United States as the number one sending nation of sending missionaries, all as a result of 1907. Well, Jonathan Goforth went and saw the flames of what God was doing there. God was already working in his heart. And God used him in the 1908 Manchurian revival. And the bottom line is, from 1901 to 1913, 57 nations experienced the reviving presence of God. Why? Because God's word is true. Let's let the Spirit of God stir us to faith and inspire us. Let's let past blessings and future promises inspire us to present heart cry. Shall we pray? Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.